We've been hearing the story of David for nine consecutive Sundays in our church lectionary cycle. That's quite a chunk of time to devote to one man's narrative. In truth, the story of David in the Hebrew Bible actually comprises 42 chapters from the middle of 1 Samuel through all of 2 Samuel and into the first two chapters of 1 Kings. Coincidentally, our readings at morning prayer for the past month have also featured this David's story. And today was day 33 of 49 consecutive readings from these chapters. On top of all that, some of us attended a terrific reading and discussion last Thursday with Megan Kempston, a St. Luke's parishioner who in 2014 was standing in that very narthex when she heard the tale of David, Bathsheba, and Uriah the Hittite up here and was inspired to write her own short story, imagining Uriah's journey to deliver the letter that would seal his own fate. So David has been on my mind a lot lately, here at church, at home in the mornings, and on our travels through the American West on vacation. I believe David is the most focused on person in the entire Old Testament. Moses may appear in more chapters and books, but that narrative is mostly about the Israelites and their journeys. Other than Miriam and Aaron, his siblings, and maybe Zipporah, his wife, I don't even think most of us can name any other family members of Moses. With David, on the other hand, we know Jesse, his papa, Samuel, his anointer, Saul, his father figure, Jonathan, his first love, Michal, his wife, Bathsheba, another wife, his sons Solomon, Absalom, and Amnon, his daughter Tamar, and his great 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 grandson Jesus. We hear David's life story from shepherd boy to warrior to king to death. In his astonishing three-volume translation and commentary on the Hebrew Bible, the scholar Robert Alter says the following. The story of David is probably the greatest single narrative representation in antiquity of a human life evolving by slow stages through time, shaped and altered by the pressures of political life, public institutions, family, the impulses of body and spirit, the eventual sad decay of the flesh. It also provides the most unflinching insight into the cruel processes of history and into human behavior warped by the pursuit of power. And nowhere is the Bible's astringent narrative economy, its ability to define characters and etch revelatory dialogue in a few telling strokes more brilliantly deployed. Today is the last day we will hear from David in our church lectionary cycle. And it is not a happy scene upon which the curtains close and the music fades. But I didn't want to say goodbye to David without one last look back at his life. 
Remember the handsome, ruddy shepherd boy from nine weeks ago who stood in the midst of his father and brothers, wide-eyed with wonder, as Samuel poured a horn of oil over his head, anointing him king? Remember that brash youth who shouted at Goliath, This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. All that youthful vigor is now spent. By the end of today's reading, David sits weeping over his dead son Absalom, who caused a civil war and many deaths. My son, my son Absalom, would that I had died in your stead. Absalom, my son, my son. That's the last we hear from him in our church cycle. Robert Alter again writes, The eloquent David is reduced to a sheer stammer of grief, repeating over and over the two Hebrew words, Beni Avshalom, Beni Avshalom, my son Absalom. Absalom for David is not the usurper who drove him from the throne, but only my son and David is the anguished father who would rather have died than his son might have lived. Also recall what Nathan the prophet proclaimed in last week's reading as a result of David's great sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, that turning point in his life. Nathan said, Why have you despised the word of the Lord, David, to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. And sure enough, the son conceived with Bathsheba dies. Another, Solomon, is born. So is Amnon, another son, who later rapes his half-sister Tamar who is then avenged when Absalom kills Amnon, eventually leading to war against his father David, and now, today, Absalom's death. As readers of these stories, we feel the great tragedy of the second half of David's life, almost like a river that flows from that original source of sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, that promise through Nathan that God will never let the sword leave his house. And like Robert Alter, that scholar, I marvel at the brilliance of whoever wrote down this narrative, its complex rendering of one man's life, almost modern, something from thousands of years ago that still strikes us today. Someday, soon, maybe, I'm going to offer a three-day parish retreat where we each write our own life stories and share them. We will read these chapters of David, noting the arc of his life, and then ponder the arc of our own. How did your youthful vigor express itself? What did you proclaim or boast of? What were your dreams? Who were you going to be? Or for the few of you who actually are young still, what are your dreams for the future? Where was God, where Jesus in your youth? Close at hand? Or an annoyance forced on you by your parents who took you to church? Did you ever feel God's presence guiding you, protecting you, as David did? That would be part one of our retreat. 
Part two would be the realities of adulthood. How did it turn out for you? Did you have to make some compromises to get by? Did any of your dreams come true? Or did you sacrifice them for your children, for your spouse, or give up on them out of fear or a lack of confidence? And here's maybe where the retreat would really get good. Was there a turning point in your life? Like there was for David when he saw Bathsheba bathing on her roof and made that terrible choice? Was there a great regret or sin that you can look back on and perceive as the source of much that came after? That first drink? That failed exam? That job you didn't get? That argument you never resolved? Or maybe it was a turning point that saved your life, brought you joy and fulfillment in ways you could never have imagined. Your wedding day, your first child, the trip of a lifetime, a great friendship, a passion you accidentally discovered that came to you, grabbed you by the arm and said, come on, let's go. And how did you square all of that with God, that turning point, or how your life turn out, turned out? Did you admit, as did David, I have sinned against the Lord? Or conversely, did you rejoice and give thanks to God for all the blessings of your life? Did you ask God to take away that longing for a dream you could no longer bring to life? Did you make peace with the loss of your youthful vigor and dreams? Then by day three of the retreat, we'd probably all be drinking. <laughs> all this vulnerability, all this sharing of truths, I thought we were Episcopalians. <laughs> retreat from hell. <laughs> but the question hanging over our heads on that day three would be, how might I tie up the loose ends of my life with grace and with acceptance? to not be a sobbing David mourning over a son lost to passion and pride, to make peace with whatever we regret, to make amends with whomever we have shunned, to pray that we forgive ourselves and others, and to ask for God's forgiveness too, to give thanks, or to give it one more shot before we go. I think this is not so much a sermon as it is a meditation on life and the arc of life. David's story is such a gift to us from centuries ago because it is so real, so complex. Not just a chest-thumping hero's tale, nor a simplistic fable with a moral at the end to tie it up. It is a story filled with ardor, and love, with error and regret, with loss and redemption. It is like life. And it makes me wonder about mine. I hope you will think on these things as I have. This summer, I have officiated at three funerals, one baptism and one wedding. Two more memorial services and one more baptism are coming. 
I have witnessed families struggling with elderly parents, parents dealing with mentally ill children, and spouses watching their spouses slide into dementia. It is a severe privilege to be a priest, to be present to others' lives in their hardest moments. But in these past few months, I have also seen other things. Grandparents surrounded by grandchildren running and playing all around them as they shouted, Nana or Bobo. A son who never really knew his father, giving thanks to all the eulogists whose words painted a picture of his father at his funeral. Retired gay men finding community at last in a small town in the Sierras. A local rodeo in Wyoming with brave, strong young girls riding expertly around barrels on horses they've trained with half their short lives. A young bison in Yellowstone feeding from its mother's teats while trying to keep up with her and latched on as she strolled past our car on the road and a father helping his son with Down syndrome light the candles at the altar before a church service. If life didn't go as planned for David, we can at least say this for him, and hopefully for ourselves. He loved and was loved. He had an intimate relationship with God he was wonderfully, terribly human. And one day, he lay down and slept with his ancestors. May we ponder these things and not let life pass us by without reflection. May our stance at the end be one of awe-filled gratitude for this one wild and precious life. Amen.